Hey, we're in part three, as you've already heard of this series, I Love My Ecclesia, talking about um, how we think about, um, maybe even how we rethink um, about the church. Because when I say church, or when you hear church, you think something. Um, an image comes to mind, maybe a building comes to mind, maybe an event comes to mind, maybe the, the really itchy pants that your mom made you wear to church when you were a kid comes to mind. Um, there's all kinds, if you're a pastor's kid, I guarantee you what comes to your mind is completely different than what the average person thinks about church, but we all have an idea. We all have this thought um, of what it means to be the church, the ecclesia, but we've gone back to the very beginning, the launch of the church um, back in the book of Acts and looked at um, what the church was. At the very beginning, and it wasn't a building, it wasn't an event, um, it wasn't liturgy, it wasn't tradition, um, it was a movement. It was a movement of people that decided to give their lives because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what the, that's what the church was at the very beginning. And for the last 2,000 years, there's been a lot that's been added to the church. There's been some baggage that's been added to the church. Some of you have a story when it comes to baggage and church. Um, some good things have happened, bad things have happened, but throughout the last 2,000 years, regardless of what's happened, there's always been a, a group of people, a remnant of people, who have devoted themselves to the story, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we've, we've, we've kind of gone through the first couple chapters of Acts and, and seen um, th this momentum there's, there's a lot that goes on in the first two chapters of Acts. Lots of excitement, lots of growth, lots of good things that happen. And then you get to about Acts chapter 3, halfway through, and you start to see it's not all puppies and rainbows when it comes to the beginning of the church. There, there's, there's some difficulty for people who claim to follow Jesus. There are lots of really amazing things that happen in the early days of the church, but there's also lots of really difficult, tragic things as well. And we're going to look at one of those today. And before we do, I just want to, to preface it with this. We live in interesting times. And that is an understatement, right? I'm so tired of hearing unprecedented, so I'm not going to use unprecedented. We live in interesting times, right? Like nobody knows what's going to happen with COVID next. There's lots of people who want to forecast what's going to happen, but we don't really know, right? Um, the, 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 the racial and social tensions in our world um, make it really, really interesting. Let's not even get into the presidential election right now. But all kinds of very interesting things that are going on. But even with all of that, we live in the safest country in the world. At, at the very least, we live in the most comfortable country in the world. We live in the most safe, the safest, the most, I mean, everybody's got a helmet and a seatbelt and insurance, some of us have a lawyer, right? And there's nothing wrong with those things, but the safety, the comfort, the, the, the least amount of pain possible in our culture starts to creep into our faith. It starts to creep into our relationship with God, and, and we, we get confused, and we think that um, safety and comfort and the, the least amount of pain possible is God's desire for us. But that's not at all. That's not at all what it was like at the very beginning. And fair warning, I am going to pick on us a little bit today. 
Because we are a bunch of scaredy cats. We are. We are. I mean, just, um, just for a second, think about some of our prayers, okay? Why don't you think about some of our prayers? And, and, and I'm not picking on you. I'm picking on us, okay? I am included. We pray for things like a safe trip. If we're going on a trip, pray for, for a safe trip. If Christians in other parts of this world heard us pray for a safe trip, you know what they would say? Have you seen our roads? Like, we don't have seatbelts. We have seatbelt laws. We don't have traffic. The, the, the last time I was in Sierra Leone, Africa, I saw 10-year-old boys on rollerblades holding the back of a truck going about 50 miles an hour. They would say, stop praying for a safe trip for you and start praying for a safe trip for us. Right? We pray, God, give, a, you know, give our kids a good year in school this year. And they would go, oh, your kids get to go to school. That's awesome. I mean, if, they, if Christians in other parts of this world heard us pray, God, please bless me, they'd go, you don't have enough already? Oh, you've got a coin shortage. How inconvenient. We have a money shortage. We have a resource shortage. And I'm just saying, when you step back and, and look at the issues the universal church faces compared to the American church and listen to some of the things we pray, some of the things we think, some of the things we say, it's kind of pathetic. It's, it's, it's kind of pathetic. And, and our prayers aren't wrong. They just reveal how comfortable and easy it is to be a follower of Jesus in America. Out of all the Christians in the world who have the least to fear and who have the most freedom, we've allowed our safety and comfort to erode our boldness. We've lost our edge. We're not bold. And when I say bold, I'm not talking about posting a political meme on Facebook. Right? I'm not talking about standing up for your rights as an American. Now, when I talk about bold, once upon a time, as we're going to see today, once upon a time, people were willing to die because of the message of Jesus. People were willing to give their lives and stay focused on this idea. Everybody spends forever somewhere. And God has sent Jesus to help us with that dilemma, to answer that question for us. That God, through Jesus, has brought assurance to eternity. And that's what we're going to be all about, regardless of what you do to us. Regardless of what happens to me. Once upon a time, that was one of the things that marked the church, and we've lost that. At the very least, at the very least, we've allowed and, and, and become distracted from that because of safety, because of comfort, maybe because we're just so stinking blessed. We've lost our boldness. We've lost our boldness, and I think we should do something about that. And what better time in the history of mankind to do it than now? So enough of the editorial. I want to point you to the text for today. Such a great story. We're in Acts chapter 5. If you want to follow along uh, or if you've got a mobile device, you want to go along with us, we'll throw these verses up on the screen as well. Um, in Acts chapter 5, there's more and more people have, have embraced Jesus as Messiah. Um, it was 3,000 on day one. If you were here uh, last week, we looked at that. Um, a couple weeks later, there was 2,000. So there's about 10% of the population of Jerusalem 
who has decided to follow Jesus as Messiah. And it got to the point that people outside of Jerusalem, like in the surrounding country or surrounding areas around Jerusalem, started to hear that there was something going on in Jerusalem. There's this Jesus thing going on, and, and we want to find out more about it. So they, they start showing up in Jerusalem. It's packed with people. It's packed with people interested in Jesus, and the religious Jewish leaders don't like it. And they don't like it for, for multiple reasons. Um, they're the ones who are responsible for keeping Rome happy. And so they're thinking, you know, Rome gives us some freedom um, because of our faith, because this is our land, but they're an occupying force. So if we don't get this under control, they're going to come in and squash us like a bug. And they were the ones in charge of that. Uh, the other part was that they started to, um, nobody's showing up for worship at the temple. It's like COVID in March, like nobody was there. Nobody was showing up. Nobody's asking them questions anymore. Um, nobody's uh, they're, they're really agreeing with or obeying their authority, their power, and, and it, they're, they're just being ignored. And Luke actually tells us, this is an interesting little detail, Luke tells us that the religious leaders are filled with jealousy. They're jealous because they're being threatened. And so they decide... Okay, we arrested Peter and John. Like, we arrested the, the, the two guys at the top of the totem pole for their leadership, and nothing happened. It just got worse. So here's an idea. Let's arrest all of their leaders. Let's, let's arrest the rest of the apostles, the rest of the original followers of Jesus, and put an end to this. That's exactly what they do. They arrest the apostles. They throw them in jail. They leave them there overnight. Well, during the night, an angel shows up and lets them out, which I'm sure was awesome. Um, but the next morning, the religious leaders here, the apostles, are back in the temple preaching about Jesus. And number one, they're like, who let them out? Like, we were, we were going we to go take them through a trial. What in the world is going on? And number two, what do we have to do to get them to stop talking about the J guy? And that's where our story Picks up. Acts chapter 5, verse 27. Here we go. It says, The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is like the Jewish Supreme Court, the legal arm of the temple system. Brought in to be questioned by the high priest. Here's what he says We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Interesting detail. Can't even say his name. He can't even say Jesus, which is interesting to me for couple reasons, but number one, 2,000 years later, you go to certain environments, the name Jesus still makes people uncomfortable, right? I mean, here in church, perfectly fine. In home, at home, in, in your own little spot, perfectly fine. But you go to the marketplace, you go out in public, you know, you go sit around the, the dinner table at Thanksgiving, family Thanksgiving dinner, you, God is fine. Talk about God as much as you want. Heavenly Father is even all right. But start talking about Jesus and it makes people uncomfortable 2,000 years later. I just think that's interesting. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem. That's how big of a deal this was. You've filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. This is important. This, this was not 50 years after the resurrection. This was two months, two months after the resurrection. And the high priest, the, the, the leader of all leaders in the Jewish religious system, the high priest, the same high priest who was the high priest two months ago is saying, 
the way you guys keep telling the story is making us look really bad. Like the, the way it makes you, it makes us look like we're guilty for his death. <laughs> and Peter's going, yep, it's because you are. Caiaphas, come on, man. This was not 50 years ago. This was two months ago. In this very city. The reason it sounds like you're guilty is because you are. You had him arrested. You had him falsely tried. And you convinced Rome to crucify him. Here's how the apostles respond. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed. There, I said it. Sorry, not sorry. This is not a secret, Caiaphas. Whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Peter is a broken record. Every single time Peter preaches in public, it's Jesus, resurrection, Jesus, resurrection. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus and resurrection just over and over and over again. And then, and then Peter says something that puts Christianity in a completely different category from every other world religion. This is one of the things that puts Christianity in a completely different level. He says, we, you and I, Caiaphas, we, those of us who are on trial here, we are witnesses of these things. In other words, this isn't something we heard. This isn't something that we just believe in our brains. We saw it. Caiaphas, you saw it. Sanhedrin, all of you here, you were here two months ago during his trial. You saw what happened. Come on. I know you're dealing with some jealousy. I know you're starting to feel your, your authority threatened. But we were all there. We all know what happened right here in this city two months ago. We're all witnesses of these things. And by the way, so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him, which is just a dig at the religious leaders. They're about to kill them. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. And this next part, this next part is one of those parts in the Bible we just kind of read past. But this next part, this next part doesn't read like myth or fable. This next part reads like history. Like here are the facts of what actually happened. Watch this. Verse 34. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a while. Gamaliel, he's a famous, he's well-known. You can read about him in extra-biblical literature. He's respected. And he says, hey, guys, before we take um, a movement that was born because we martyred one of their leaders, and now we're talking about martyring 11 of them, before we do that, send them out. I want, I want to run something by you. And so that's what they do. They send the apostles out, and he, he stands up in front of the Sanhedrin, and here's what he says. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. Gamaliel says, hey, y'all remember Thutis? 
just, just a little while ago. And, and we, don't know, we don't have any extra biblical record of Thutis, so all we know about him are in these verses right here. But somehow he stirred up a group of 400, was going to do something new and unique, and Rome said, I don't think so, and squashed him. And Thutis and his 400 guys went away. And everybody in the Sanhedrin's going, oh, yeah, we remember Thutis. He goes on. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Now, we do have extra biblical literature about Judas the Galilean. The governor of Syria um, decided to do a census to figure out how to raise taxes because governments have been doing that for centuries. And Judas the Galilean says, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to participate in that. And he starts a revolt. Now, you know something about Judas the Galilean if, if you've ever read the New Testament. If you've ever read the Gospels, Judas the Galilean started a group known as the Zealots. Heard that before? And actually, one of Judas the Galilean's followers became a follower of Jesus. His name was Simon the Zealot. That's where that came from. And so again, everybody in that room's tracking with Gamaliel. Yeah, we remember that. And Gamaliel's point is, guys, we didn't get involved in those two movements, and Rome took care of it for us. We played our political cards perfectly in both of those situations. Why are we getting involved in this one? Let's let it play out. Let's let Rome take care of this. They're not going to let this area of the world get out of control. Here's his conclusion. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. Here's why. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. If it's just man-made movement, it's going to fail because Rome won't let it succeed. Well, one of the things you need to know, Rome wasn't against Christianity. Rome was against anything that didn't serve Rome and her purposes. And here's, here's the part I want you to listen to. This is so important. This is so important. But... If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Implication. The only thing that can overcome the power of Rome is God. The only thing that can supersede the empire is a movement of God, if there's going to be breakthrough, if there's going to be change, if there's going to be any kind of momentum, guys, it's going to take an act of God. Has anybody been to the modern day city of Rome? Ben has. It's different, different city, different country. Um, do you know what there is in Rome more than any other city in the world? Crosses. Crosses. Crosses that don't represent the crucifixions of Rome and the power and might of Rome. Crosses that represent a crucifixion that you and I only know about because of a resurrection. What Gamaliel is saying right here happened. And what he didn't know was he was sitting in the very city around the very leaders that would eventually become the movement that would overthrow the power of Rome that we know of 
as the ecclesia, the church. And it all stems from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Oh, I could talk about that for days. The Sanhedrin, they agree with his reasoning. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Now, we've talked about this before. Flogging is not just being beaten or whipped. Now, we have a little bit of an idea of what flogging looks like because of the passion of the Christ. You've seen that movie. You have a little bit of an idea. But flogging was they take um, a cat of nine tails. There's nine leather strips. And in those leather strips, they put bits of bone and glass and stone, and they just go to town on you. And sometimes flogging was a death sentence. They would take that and they would, it would dig into your skin and they would just rip it off. Rip off all the skin on your torso, on your back. So for several hours, the apostles stood in line and watched as the temple guard permanently scarred the bodies of their closest friends. Like, like from that day on, every time they changed shirts, every time they went swimming, every time they bathed, they had a visual representation of what happened this day. Like this, this was hours, half a day of listening to your closest friends scream out in pain, knowing you're next. All because they wanted people to know that they saw something. They witnessed something. They weren't making it up. They just wanted to witness. They just wanted to testify to what they had seen and heard. How would you respond to that? How would I respond? How would we respond? Would Christianity even got out of Jerusalem if that was us? Would Christianity would have, would have even got past the first century? Or would that be the end of it right there? How would you respond? Here's how they responded. Then, after they flogged them, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Ready for this? The apostles left the Sanhedrin, what's it say? Rejoicing? What? You, you, you are permanently disfigured. For the rest of your life, people will see the scars and know, to some extent, you're a criminal. Rome, Rome considers you a criminal, but they left rejoicing. Why? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. See, this is, this is where those of us who are followers of Jesus, if, if we're honest, we just need to fall to our knees and repent. We need to fall to our knees because it's so uncomfortable. We're so afraid of something negative happening to us because of the name. And our first century forefathers go, are you kidding me? To have suffered, to, to, to have lost something, to have given up something, to be disfigured because of Jesus, are you kidding me? It's the thing I'm most proud of. I mean, he gave his life for me. Sure, you can have the skin on my back. I'll give him the skin on my back. It'll grow back. He gave his life for me. I gave up my reputation for him. He gave his life for me. I gave up a bonus. 
I gave up a job. I gave up an opportunity. I gave up a relationship. That's how they thought. But here we sit. Most comfortable, safest country, safest neighborhoods, most comfortable nation in the world. And we're afraid somebody's not going to like us because we talk about Jesus. We're, we're, we're afraid somebody's not going to invite us to be a part of their thing. We're afraid we'll lose business. We're afraid they won't invite us to play golf with them anymore. We're afraid our kids will fall behind athletically or ac academically. And, and instead of coming home and saying, honey, I got great news. No bonus this year because of the name. Honey, great news. I was disinvited to be a part of that group at work because of the name. Praise God, they made fun of me because I talked about Jesus. We're so extraordinarily blessed. Instead of being grateful, instead of being good stewards of the blessing, we've allowed it to strip us of our boldness. And I am no exception. I, this is so convicting to me. They left their flogging. <laughs> Rejoicing. It's not all. Verse 42. Day after day. In the temple courts, they went back to the place they were arrested. <laughs> In the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They, you, do whatever you want to us. Do whatever you want. We're never going to stop because we saw something. It happened. Do whatever you want. What do you do with that? Aren't you so glad you came to church today? What do you do with that? Like, like what do we, so, we, we, I thought, you know, maybe we just all sit here for 10 minutes and let that wash over us. I thought, that's a terrible idea, Tim. It's a terrible idea. Another idea I had, I, I, I could gather some stories of people in, in different parts of our world, Christians in other parts of our world, who are, are, are literally persecuted for our faith. We're not persecuted in America who are literally persecuted. They're, they're duct taped inside their car and their car is set on fire because they follow Jesus. I could tell you stories like that, but the problem with those stories are they're so far away, they're so outside of our reality, we go, wow. So where do you want to go to lunch? Right? So instead of that, here's what I thought we would do. And maybe this is a terrible idea too, but this is what we're going to do. I thought I'd suggest some boldness baby steps. Because we're babies. We're babies. We don't do this very well. And listen, if you listen to these and go, Tim, compared to what the apostles went through, compared to what other Christians around the world go through, this is nothing. I completely agree with you. It's nothing. But I think we gotta start somewhere. We gotta start somewhere. So, so here are some simple elementary boldness baby steps, all right? Number one, decide to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. Decide to say something when it's easy to say. Boldness is just deciding, I'm going to say something here, even when being quiet is just easier. It's, being more, it's more comfortable. I mean, that's, that's kind of what is bold in our culture because we're so afraid to say anything to offend anybody. You run into those situations. I run into those situations. Yeah, I could say something here, but I don't know how they're going to react I don't know if they'll like me, or maybe we don't say anything because we have said things in the past and we got a little PTSD from what they said back to us. 
So, so maybe boldness is just deciding to say something when it's easier to say nothing. And, and listen, I am, I am no better than you are. There are times when I'm faced with those situations, and more often than not, I don't say anything for the same reasons you don't. I got a long way to go. But sometimes, boldness, it's just it's deciding to say something, anything, rather than saying nothing at all. And, and I got to say this too. Like, I think we all know this, but this isn't a permission to be a jerk, right? Like, this isn't a permission just to be critical of whatever. Speaking the truth in love and being bold can go hand in hand. Speak the truth in love and be bold. Just decide to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. High school students, college students, decide to say something, even when it's easier to say nothing. Number two, take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. It's like, I just showed up here this morning, and they strapped this microphone to my face, and so I just decided to take advantage of the opportunity that presented itself. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? Um, I play golf with a group of guys on Thursday nights and usually Saturday mornings. I've grown to love these guys. They're so much fun to be around. And um, I shared with the staff a few months ago, or about a month ago, hey guys, would you just pray for me um, for favor? Would you pray for me for opportunities? Because I want to do everything I can, not just to play golf with these guys. I want to show them Jesus. And, and I kid you not, that week, we're playing. I'm playing with this 32-year-old guy. I don't know him that well. I've played with him a couple times. But we're, we're, he knows I'm a pastor, which is an advantage in some regards to this, Okay. He knows I'm a pastor. I'm standing on the, the tee box waiting for the group in front of us to leave so we could hit. We're not talking about church. We're not talking about faith. We're not talking about anything. We were standing there in silence. And he looks over at me and he says, Tim, what would it take for a 32-year-old guy to get baptized? <laughs> and, and it had caught me by surprise. So I, I shouldn't confess this, but I'm going to. My first thought was, I really just want to play golf. Can we talk about this later? right? Because it caught me by surprise. And then my next thought, it's always the second thought that's sanctified. My next thought was, that's exactly what I've been praying about. So I took the opportunity that presented itself. Did I baptize him on the pond off of the fifth hole? No, <laughs> I did not. I didn't think about that until I got home. <laughs> but, but what I did, opportunity presented itself, the door opened, so I walked through it. And you know what? That guy will more than likely never darken the doors of this church. But there's obviously something going on in him that he's curious. There's something in him that God is nudging him. Take advantage of the opportunity that presents himself. And walk through the door. Here's, here's the third baby step. Create opportunities. Create opportunities. I, I know people um, that go to the same coffee shop every morning, every day because they want to talk to the same person every morning, every day about Jesus. I know people who do that in restaurants. That's a little bit more difficult today than it used to be, but it's still possible. Um, I've heard of people who start book studies or Bible studies at work and invite their friends to come and be a part of that at lunchtime or, or at a break. Um, there are people who have been baptized here at Grace Point that invite friends and family to be a part of that. That's a great opportunity 
to take advantage of. There are people in our church that do all kinds of things with their neighbors. They, they take them cookies, invite them to come and you know, sit around a fire pit at night, have them over for dinner, just, just spend time talking with them in the driveway or, or on the front porch. My wife is great at that. Her husband is terrible at it. I'm terrible at that. But, but there, there are so many ways to create opportunities. So be bold. Be bold. And, and are some people going to be offended? Yes, they will be. But chances are, you will not be flogged. You will not be fed to the lions. You will not be taxed more. But see, our threshold for pain and fear and discomfort is staggeringly low. And thank God we live in a culture where that's the case. But we can't lose our boldness because of it. Hey, come on, come on, come on. Aren't you glad somebody was bold with you? Aren't you glad they kept giving you those CDs? Remember those? Aren't you glad they kept giving you that book and underlining things and circling things? Aren't you glad somebody kept inviting you and inviting you and inviting It was really annoying at The reason some of us aren't bold, we've forgotten what it's like to not have peace with God. We've just been around the church for so long. We've had peace with God for so long. We're not bold. We're just comfortable. But that can change. That can change. And it, it doesn't have to be rocket science. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to do it. You just have to just say something instead of saying nothing. I'm, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunities that present you're out. How to create some opportunities. And, and you know what? One day, somebody might reach across the table. They'll mention your name when they're getting baptized. They'll knock on your door. They'll write you a letter. They'll call you. They'll take you to lunch. And they'll say, hey, I know that was really awkward for you. And I know I was a jerk at the beginning. But I'm so glad. I'm so glad you didn't give up on me because now I have peace with God. Now that whole eternity thing, I've figured that out thanks to Jesus. If, if we really believe this verse, ever seen this verse before? John 3.16, ever heard of it? See it a lot in NFL games? If we really believe this verse, that God loved the world, not church people, there were no church people in the beginning. God so loved the world that he gave something. He didn't ask for something. He didn't require something. He gave what was most precious to him, his son, so that whoever, whoever is you, is me, it's anybody, whoever believes in him won't perish. That means their life won't lose its meaning and significance once they breathe their last breath. It means there's something beyond this life, and Jesus came to solve that for us. Jesus came to make a way for us. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If we really honestly believe that verse is true, shouldn't we be bold? Shouldn't, shouldn't we, we, we take the opportunity to say something when it's easier to say nothing and, and, and take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves and maybe even intentionally, purposefully 
create some opportunities to be bold? I, I think we should. Because that's how this whole thing got started. That's how this whole thing got out of Jerusalem. That's how this whole thing got across the pond to America. That's how it escaped the first century. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of it. You're a part of it. Your forefathers were really, really bold. They weren't undercover Christians. They were bold. So let's be bold because we, you and I, we are a part of the ecclesia, the gathering, the congregation, the assembly, the movement of people who believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Be bold. Let's pray. Father in heaven, man, would you forgive us? And then would you give us would you give us the courage, grant us the boldness to live out our lives out loud in such a way that people are in awe, not, not in awe of us, not in awe of anything that we do, but because of what you do in us and through us. Grant us the boldness to, to shout it from the mountaintops. God, for the person who's, who's listening or watching this, those here in the room who whose experience with church is anything but positive, would you help them, even in this very moment, to see past us and see your incredible love for them, that one day they would be a part of this incredible movement called the church. So God, give us boldness to speak up, to recognize opportunities, to, to, to help us to create some along the way. And God, as, as we continue to, to worship, we, we sing these songs as a declaration of your goodness, but also a declaration of our intention to live bold lives for your glory and not our own. We ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.